Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast. Season 1, episode number 16, Adrianople, part 2. My name is Josh Hirschman. When we last spoke, we broke down the Gothic and Roman armies of the Battle of Adrianople and reviewed their movements that preceded their colliding campaigns in Thrace in 377 through the spring of 378. In this episode, we are going to tell the story of how the, our two sides maneuvered in the months leading up to the battle and the decisions that Valens and Fritigern were faced with in these extraordinary circumstances. We pick up our narrative in the area in and around Adrianople where we have our two armies in an active state of preparation. Valens had marched from Antioch to Constantinople by late May 378 CE. He then marched his army to the town called Melantius, about 17 miles southeast of Adrianople, on June 11, 378. It is here in Melantius that Valens will establish his headquarters for his campaign to end the Gothic menace in his empire. Meanwhile, the Goths are spread out through Thrace in small groups or columns. Fritigern began to recall these troops as the Roman army left Constantinople in order to prepare a plan to deal with the Romans. He decides to make the city of Kabul, which is near modern-day Yambol, Bulgaria, about 90 kilometers or 50 miles north of Adrianople. This position is strategic for the Goths as it controls the Tunja River and the roads that lead to Adrianople and the Black Sea to the east. During the month of June, Valens is in Melantius and hears that the Goths are retreating to northern Bulgaria, but is told they only have 10,000 men. He hears about a victory over the Goths by someone named Sebastian, who we'll come back to in a second, in southern Thrace. A number of battles were fought and won by the Roman general Sebastian in the summer of 378 CE. Sebastian was given command of the Roman troops in Thrace in the late spring of 378. He was able to utilize guerrilla warfare tactics and to have some success against these smaller groups of raiding Goths throughout the Thracian countryside. Included in these successes was a complete victory over a raiding group of Goths in the Rhodope Mountains of southern modern Bulgaria and northeastern Greece. And finally, Valens hears about the approach of Gratian and his western army, which are now just weeks away in Thrace. He decides to press the Goths and move his troops to Adrianople from Melantius. It is here in Adrianople, in mid-July, that he sets up his headquarters and calls together his war council. Fritigern, meanwhile, convenes his war council to decide on what move to make next against the Romans. It is midsummer 378, and the Goths have been rebelling against the Romans for two fighting seasons now. The goal of coming to the Empire in the first place was to find settlement and peace in imperial lands, and while their former homeland is still a chaotic mix of roving bands, Huns, Alans, and Athanarix, Tervingai, Fritigern does not see many options for his people. He can't go back home. Valens is marching his army towards him and now are within a week's march from each other. Additionally, the Western Roman Emperor, Gratian, is at the head of his army and is approaching Thrace and will be upon him quickly also. Fritigern has not only his warriors to worry about, but also has tens of thousands of family members and camp followers. Keeping his people fed without any supply lines proves to be a never-ending task. This is probably one of the main reasons he had to split his forces up into smaller groups to raid throughout Thrace. But when two larger Roman armies are moving in on him, he must consolidate and decide how to proceed. As the army comes together, he must constantly send out his cavalry to forage for food and to scout for the enemy. He therefore cannot stay in one locale for very long, or his tens of thousands of people will strip the area of all food and sustenance. So... 
with all of these factors going against him, he's pressed to make a difficult decision. He cannot go back to the north of the Danube. He cannot stay in one place too long with this large army. And he cannot wait for Valens and his nephew Gratian to combine and create an army twice the size of his. Fritigern decides to push his people towards Valens in the city of Angerinople, presumably to try his luck from the best position that he has. He could confront Valens before Gratian is able to support him, to try and find a political settlement with the Eastern Emperor, or fight this army. It is important to note that Valens and Fritigern do have a history together. Valens had supported Fritigern in his struggle with Othenaric north of the Danube. In the years preceding negotiations that had started in 376 for Fritigern to enter into the empire, he had lost a power struggle with Othenaric, of which Valens had supported Fritigern. Both of these men had some familiarity with each other and how they would conduct themselves. So Fritigern therefore establishes his troops on a small hill about eight miles north of Valens and his base in Adrianople. He circles his wagon train into a logger-like position and places his men and their camp followers inside the makeshift fortress on top of this hill. Now, a logger is an idea that has been used in many cultures throughout history, but the term itself, logger, comes from Afrikaans. During the treks across southern Africa uh, and the movements of the boyars in the 1800s. Back in Adrianople, Valens is called a meeting with his war council in early August 378 CE, which includes the experienced Frankish general Ricimer, who Ricimer was sent by Gratian from the west and had just arrived in the east to help Valens as an advisor. Ricimer urged caution and certainty with waiting for the emperor's co-ruler and nephew Gratian. The general Sebastian or Sebastianus, was also present and who had for several months in the Thracian countryside fought the Goths. He defeated a larger column of Goths with only 2,000 troops near Rhodope that we had mentioned earlier in southern Thrace. He had several small-scale victories against these types of columns of Goths that were seeking food, supplies, and loot in general in the Thracian countryside. So since he spent much of his summer of 378 fighting around the city of Nike, which was about 14 miles or 25-ish kilometers north of Adrianople and throughout the rest of Thrace, one would expect him to be able to provide great insight at this war council with his recent successes in the proximity of the battlefield the previous months. Essentially, there were three choices to make. The first was to wait, shield the Goths from Constantinople and other key cities, and then hook up with Gratian's troops to crush the Goths altogether. By August 7th, Gratian is in Castromartis in Thrace, which is in modern-day northwestern Bulgaria, just a couple weeks away from Valens and his army. Additionally, Ricamiris had informed the council that a group of Goths and Alans had ambushed Gratian's troops outside Castromartis and inflicted casualties on the western emperor's forces. The thought was that these barbarians would not have time to come back to Fritigern's forces as they sit at that moment. Ricamiris probably consulted caution because this is an example of the Romans not knowing the exact number nor the location of the enemy at present. The Sarmatian commander of the cavalry, Victor, probably pressed for caution against attacking the Goths as well. Gratian had been sending riders to Victor and other leaders of the Romans in the area 
ahead of his army, urging patience so that he can meet up with his uncle's forces. The second choice was to take the field immediately and engage the Goths before they could do any more damage. The second was to take the field immediately and engage the Goths before they could do any more damage. There's good reason for this choice. The Goths were reported to be slightly outnumbered, but there were other roaming bands in the countryside that could potentially move in and join the enemy. Attacking immediately made a lot of sense for this reason before the other Goths could come and support the main body. The Goths were outnumbered and could be attacked with a superior number of soldiers. Additionally, if we're to believe Amianus' account, the Goths were not prepared to battle as they were ready to be deployed. Additionally, Valens had the full complements of an army with him, and Fritigern clearly was lacking cavalry at this time. Possibly a deciding factor for Valens was that he truly did not want to wait for Gratian to come to his rescue. It would have been very difficult to turn the events in his favor if his teenage nephew marches over a thousand miles to team up and defeat the enemy. This would mean that Gratian would have defeated two different barbarian hordes on opposite sides of the empire in one campaign. When the Goths started to rebel the year prior, the Alemanni attacked the Roman Empire across the Rhine in the west. Gratian had dispensed with them and then marched his troops the thousand miles to help his uncle. He would have been celebrated as the true hero and savior of the empire, and Valens would clearly be an afterthought. And any emperor is in a precarious situation. But Valens would be in a much more precarious situation if his teenage nephew gets the glory from him. Also, Gratian may be delayed from his current position at Castor Martis after being ambushed by the Elan and Gothic soldiers that we mentioned earlier. This would potentially hurt Gratian's inflated reputation at the moment. So keep in mind that Valens had just defeated, or rather he just dispensed with, a usurper in Constantinople just ten days prior to this war council. Flush with the thought of defeating the usurpers, Valens remembers that the Goths that sat in front of him at one point supported a usurper against him back in 366, Procopius, who, if you remember, was basically the impetus for Valens to invade Gothic territory north of the Danube in his Gothic War of 367 to 369. But there is a third option. Valens could have just granted the Goths what they wanted, which was a place to peacefully settle in the empire. Typically, the Romans would resettle barbarians in the empire to land that was vacant and would split up the people. This would ensure that the tax base would be expanded and the army would have more recruits and the people could not be centralized and be a potential threat to the empire domestically. Reportedly, the Goths at this point wanted to be settled in Thrace, which would go against common practices and would sit as a threat very near to the seat of the Eastern Empire in Constantinople. So on August 8th, Fritigern sent a priest, probably an Arian priest, that would be more amenable to the Arian Valens, to present peace terms. The priest claimed that Fritigern and his army would give up their rebellion if they could be given all of Thrace to settle as a Gothic territory, but within the Roman Empire. This settlement would do what Valens had feared. It would give the Goths land and a center of power close to his imperial capital that could become an issue in the future. Also, 
we need to remember that the Goths had been an issue for the Roman Empire for over 100 years at this point. But this is not an unheard of request. Rome had relocated 11 groups into their empire from the years 250 to 376 CE. Included in that number are 3,000 Tervingi Goth in 365, 366 CE under Emperor Valens himself. In 377, even during the current conflict, the Western Roman Emperor Gratian had settled a number of Gruthungi and Tefali, another Germanic group, in northern Italy. These groups may not have been settled through such audacious negotiating methods as employed by Fritiger in here, demanding basically a whole province near the capital, but they still were settled by the Romans. By the time of Valens' administration, the Romans utilized several strategies to compel these barbarians to settle peacefully. They would demand hostages of nobles and the non-Roman group to be raised by the Romans in the capital. This would clearly give pause to any powerful leader because as they decide whether to rebel against the Romans, they would have to keep in mind that they have children that the Romans could easily execute. Another strategy would be to take the military-aged men and put them into the army to be used as auxiliary against Rome's enemies. By handicapping the settlers' fighting ability, the Romans would coerce compliance. A third strategy that the Romans would employ would be separating the barbarian people from their leaders. This could be done in a number of ways. One was by bribing them with rich lands in a far-off province, or by simply executing them. Additionally, the Romans could split the large group apart and settle them into smaller groups, effectively dividing and conquering the settlers. All these strategies, or a combination thereof, had been used in the eastern and western portions of the empire in the near past. So the idea of a peaceful settlement would not be out of the realm of possibilities. Keeping all these factors in mind, Valens decides that he does not want to wait for Gratian to combine forces with him and defeat the Goth and be able to give his nephew even more prestige. Uh, additionally, the potential threat of a Roman settlement of the Goths near the capital in Constantinople is too much of a risk for Valens to take. So, of course, he chooses to attack the Goths and try to seize the opportunity to capture the glory by defeating the Goths without his nephew's help. On the morning of August 9th, 378 CE, Valens leads his troops through difficult terrain in the heat of summer to the foot of the hill where the Gothic logger sits peering over the Imperial army. This trip takes over eight hours, and his troops are tired, hungry, and thirsty from the hard march. Fritigern sends two more emissaries to negotiate with the Roman emperor, but they are not high enough of social status for Valens, so he sends each back to the logger with instructions for a Gothic noble to come and negotiate. Once a sufficient noble was found for Valens to negotiate with, the Goths demand an exchange of hostages during negotiations. Valens could not find willing hostages at first, which delays his uh, exchange briefly. His side apparently had no faith in the Goths at this point or did not think this was a good idea. But the troops, meanwhile, are standing in formation at the foot of the hill, peering up at the Gothic logger in the hot sun in the middle of August. August in this part of the world can easily reach temperatures in the mid-90s during the day, and in hotter years, the temperature would go over 100 degrees. That, of course, is for our Fahrenheit-speaking people. 
for the vast majority of the world, that is 35 to 38 degrees Celsius. Now, Amianus treats this offer of negotiations as disingenuous. And with the aid of foresight, he believes this was done to buy time for the Goths as they awaited their scavenging Gruthungi cavalry to return to the army from the countryside. It is during this time of negotiations that events will start to occur that will be irreversible. And these actions will have a lasting impact on history. So this is where we'll stop for this week. Next time, we're going to pick up with midday, August 9th, 378 CE, and the beginning of the battle that would change the Roman world as we know it. Some materials that we used this week for the episode were Adrianople, AD 378 by Simon McDowell, Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, The Goths by Peter Heather, Rest Geste by Amianus Marcellinus, And I'm in a continual quest, a constant quest, to find new resources and source material for the podcast. And I stumbled upon a new one called Failure of an Empire, Balans and the Roman State in the 4th Century by Noel Linsky. Which, if there's anyone out there that does find some new sources that would be pertinent to our narrative, uh, we've had uh, one or two already give us a little bit of feedback, and uh, give us some suggestions on Facebook. Please go to our Facebook page at History Barbarians or on Twitter and let me know if there's something out there that would help uh, supplement our narrative. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, subscribe to follow along on our journey. Leave a review on the podcast platform of your preference. Those good reviews really do help others find the podcast. Check out the History of the Barbarians Facebook page and Twitter accounts for some images and additional information on our characters, both this week and overall. And I'd like to thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.